Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the Corner Kick podcast. I am joined by Caleb Rhodes. Hello. And Nathan Strauss. And uh, under the weather, Nathan Strauss. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Oh God, his voice is so deep. (laughs) It's the deepest. It's It's the most my voice has dropped since I was a 13 year old. And even then it didn't drop much. (laughs) <laughs> at least two octaves deeper than we uh, normally hear you on this podcast. But gents, we have a entertaining show. We're kind of bridging the gap in between the end of the 2019-20 season and the <laughs> fast approaching beginning of the 2020-2021 season. We're going to have a little FA Community Shield discussion between myself and Nathan Caleb's going to moderate the Liverpool Arsenal um, before the kicking off of the Premier League season. But the three of us decided we, it would be remiss if we didn't hop on here at the beginning of the show to discuss some of the news dropping out of professional sports leagues, particularly in the U.S. yesterday, um, marked by the Milwaukee Bucks deciding not to play their playoff game, boycotting, going on strike their playoff game against the Orlando Magic following the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The news that the Bucks game was going to be boycotted then was then followed up by a meeting of prominent NBA personalities, NBA players, and NBA league officials, which saw the postponement of all NBA games up until it looks like tomorrow they will resume play. Um, Particularly for the purposes of our show, we saw a trickle-down effect in the MLS in which yesterday the Orlando Orlando City FC in Nashville SC was the only game that was played, and then the rest of the fixtures were postponed, um, including the marquee fixture of the day between Inter-Miami and Atlanta United. Lads, obviously, we did discuss this a few months ago in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. However, it appears as though we're in this situation yet again, where we have to talk about inequalities in our nation and particularly as it relates to the industry that we're in being the sporting industry and the intersectionality between the social justice movement that has been sweeping this country for the past few months and the fact that we hoped that these movements in the Premier League and the NBA, these Black Lives Matter statements would help to raise awareness to this fact, but yet we're talking about another instance of a really graphic injustice and inequality and initially like disgusting disgusting display of injustice in this in this country. So I just kind of wanted you to get get your thoughts on the last 24 hours as far as the sports news cycle goes and kind of your your thoughts in in the wake of everything that's been going on. Yeah, I think in the past 24 hours we've seen that sport holds a lot of power to create social justice. I think Everything in the NBA has shown from the fact that the Bucks, you know, walked off their game to the fact that they got their owner to call the attorney general of Wisconsin, I believe, to try to sort of deal with the situation shows that, you know, sports really are a powerful force for good in our society. I think what's most disappointing to me is that while generally in the United States, we see that the NFL has a more conservative bent, the NBA 
is definitely a leader on issues of social justice. Um, the MLB somewhere in between. Hockey definitely pretty far behind. But I think the MLS has been a little more of an unknown in terms of its political stance. Um, and I think I've been a little disappointed in the past few months with the MLS, um, not so much with social justice, but definitely with their handling of sort of coronavirus. But I'm really disappointed in the last 24 hours in particular to see this whole situation with Real Salt Lake, with the players rightfully sort of striking, not playing, and then their owner today locking them out of the training ground and saying that all of this has made him less interested in investing in the club. Um, this feels like another situation where, as we talked like with Liverpool um, earlier this summer, you need to sort of have like ownership and management on the side of the players on these things for it to be effective. And here we're seeing sort of a manager or an owner and a management group that is not actually interested in addressing these problems. And so I think it shows that the MLS still has a long way to go in sort of getting up to speed on these issues. To sort of frame this discussion a little differently, I'm very proud to see, I'm basically proud to see laborers standing up against management, um, which is ostensibly what happened yesterday and what was initially described as a wild card strike. And wound up being a, a full-on strike. And I think it proves the importance of strong labor unions for athletes, as well as the power of unions in other fields. I think we saw a lot of the discursive power that athletes have back in from COVID all the way through the first wave, I suppose, of Black Lives Matter protests this year. But now we're seeing some of the fiscal power they have too. Caleb, I remember you sent an article a few weeks ago about how an Oklahoma legislator threatened to stop giving tax breaks to the Oklahoma City Thunder if they knelt for the national anthem to um, the Bucks being able to get into contact with uh, the Wisconsin Attorney General and the Deputy Attorney General there. Um, so it's clear that state and municipal infrastructure rely heavily on these teams for tourism, for tax revenue, and by withholding labor players are basically taking power into their own hands. And aside from the very powerful social statement, I think it's an encouraging sign that these players are basically leveraging their economic position as well. Yeah, I agree with everything that UT said. I was listening to First Take this morning on ESPN. And while that can kind of, that show can come off as a bit silly at points especially with like the banter between Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman I think they had a very powerful show today highlighted by this quote from Max Kellerman that I think has stuck with me throughout the entirety of today uh, coming into recording and he said that black life has always been cheap in this country and it's time it starts getting more expensive and I think yesterday as you both were saying we've seen sports and athletes in particular ascend beyond the normal sense of commoditization that we view them as. I think it's easy, and I think there's a lot of people who see sports as a distraction, as entertainment, as sort of a, it's a media commodity and a fiscal commodity that is a diversion from the issues that we face in everyday life. And I think what's easy to forget is that the people that you see in your television screens are just as human as you are. And I think yesterday 
we saw that in order to transcend the issues of injustice that we're facing in this country, we need the humane side of these athletes, these leaders in each of their individual communities. I think we're all from the Boston area, and I've certainly been extremely proud of the effort that Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics has been putting into. He's been putting his heart and soul into issues surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement and being a real voice for change throughout these past few months. And I think he's come to the forefront in terms of NBA players striving towards that. But I think what we saw yesterday was the humanity of these athletes really transcending the commoditization of their respective sports. And I think in order for true change in our society to manifest, that human element needs to come to the forefront. Absolutely. And I think you know, whenever these types of things happen, and particularly in the NBA, when we see players speaking out, you know, the conservative tagline against them is shut up and dribble, which if that didn't seem racist before, it certainly is racist now. And I think connecting it to what you said, Nick, I think the sentiment behind shut up and dribble is to reduce these people to purely their sort of function as players and as entertainers and to ignore the fact that they are, you know, every bit as human as the rest of us. And they experience fears for their family and for their friends, just like the rest of us too. And so I think fighting against the notion of shut up and dribble and really using their position and status and power to leverage change that affects them because they are human is an incredibly important endeavor um, that has you know, come to fruition in the last 24 hours. I will say I have been sort of passively amused at how many prominent sort of right wing media members or figures like Charlie Kirk have repeatedly expressed how how much they will not be watching the NBA anymore for like the fifth time in the last two years. Um, <laughs> and it's good that I think the MLS and to a certain extent, the NHL, um, have the NBA to look to, or at least the NBA Players Association to look to in towards in terms of an example to follow. I certainly am disgusted about Delroy Hansen, who uh, was likened to former Clippers owner. Delroy Hansen, the owner, uh, of, the owner of Real Salt Lake. Yeah. Uh, Delroy Hansen, the the owner of Real Salt Lake. Hopefully, do you want to? Yeah, do you want to give some context on that situation? Just because. So yeah, so last last night, once games had started to. Uh, uh, called off because of the players striking. Um, Real Salt Lake players decided to uh, join in the strike. Deloy Hansen, the owner of Real Salt Lake, was quoted this morning saying that uh, it takes a lot of wind out of my sails, dot, dot, dot. It seems that it's not a very good path to take. And he also said that he likened the strike as like somebody stabbed you and you're trying to figure out a way to pull the knife out and move forward. That's what it feels like. The disrespect is profound to me personally. He then concluded the quote by saying, we will not be inviting fans back to the stadium. So tomorrow I start cutting 40 to 50 jobs again, Um, which is just a terrible message all in all. It gets even worse when you consider the fact that Real Salt Lake's players had banded together to actually pay the the, the salaries for employees that Deloy Hansen had furloughed back in March. And then Deloy Hansen barred players from entering the training ground today as a result of last night's actions. So pretty reprehensible stuff here. And um, I think Grant Wall 
tweeted that a prominent MLS uh, bigwig said that uh, Deloy Hansen is the MLS's version of former Clippers owner uh, Donald Sterling, who, of course, was forced to sell his team because of repeated racist actions. All around terrible stuff, um, really not what you would want to see from the president of a major league soccer team. Uh, and I have to think that he's going to end up getting forced out because of this. Yeah, and Josie Altidore, who's obviously a prominent member of the U.S. men's national team and a prominent MLS player, has come out in full force saying that Dora Hansen should sell the team and that he's he's a part of an active bid to Josie, that is, is part of an active bid to try and pry the club away from his hands. And I think with stuff like when stuff like this, moments like this arise, especially in intense media markets, such as like the MLS, sports, the NBA, all that stuff, I think that's when you really start to see people's true colors come to the forefront and we saw that not that Delroy Hansen has been the most liked owner over in in MLS ever in fact I think he's probably one of the most disliked historically but we saw his true colors on on full display today and I, I hope that his sentiments and his beliefs have no place in the American game going forward and I think that's definitely evident by the fact that the MLS Black Players for Change organization has been such a positive driving force for equality in sports since the MLS's back tournament. I guess just to, to put a button on this, I really hope that we're not in this position again talking about this. However, I know that we will be. I encourage you to stay active. We encourage you to stay active. But more than anything, I think come November, we encourage you to vote. Uh, that's how you get your voice out there in the most tangible way. And if we're going to enact any real change in sports and in society, it's the fastest, it's the most effective way to mobilize change in our society. So we'll see you at the polling booths. Um, Black Lives Matter as always. And I think it was a pretty powerful day in sports yesterday. Okay, boys. In what is the shortest turnaround between seasons ever, it is a week since the Champions League final, and already soccer is returning. The 2020 FA Community Shield between Arsenal and Liverpool this weekend at Wembley Stadium. You know, you guys are the fans of these teams, and I'm going to leave this conversation mostly to you, but I am very curious to see how you guys are feeling where you think these squads are at, and what this result means, if anything, um, as the season gets underway again. Maybe we'll start with Nick Liverpool. I feel like <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like Caleb is the get back coach, or like the <laughs> UFC, the UFC referee <laughs> to our <laughs> like Arsenal in the red corner, Liverpool in the blue corner of the Wembley octagon, but um. Yeah, this is a particularly interesting game because, like you said, there's been a very tight turnaround in between the end of the league season and Arsenal's FA Cup campaign to this game kicking off on Saturday. It's been an interesting couple of weeks of preseason for Liverpool, marked by good, a decent enough display against Stuttgart in a friendly and a pretty porous display against RB Salzburg in Austria, which is the first game Liverpool played in front of fans since March. There's some big injuries coming into this game. Jordan Henderson is probably not going to play in this game. Neither is Trent Alexander-Arnold, who has been suffering 
from a recurrent muscle injury coming into this one. So he's been day to day, but hasn't gotten the full preseason treatment really. So it is a huge game for players like Nico Williams, who's the young right back who I think is going to deputize in Alexander Arnold's place, as well as Rian Brewster, who I think is going to is going to play a big part in this community shield. And it's going to be the game in which he's going to have to prove himself to Jurgen Klopp to be that rotational option up top for Liverpool, who I think, had it not been for COVID, would have been in the market for a rotational number nine option for Firmino. If Rian Brewster can put in a similar performance to the one that he put it against RB Salzburg, and the man is just a, a clinical finisher at the age of 20. I think we saw that when he was on loan at Swansea last season, and we saw it, it was on full display. He had a beautiful finish for his second goal to level the match against Salzburg. It's going to be a case of this Liverpool team is going to have to motivate themselves following their title very quickly. Luckily, we have one of the best managers when it comes to motivation and reinvigorating the squad to pursue the next challenge. However, it's the community shield. I I think it's a bit of a nothing burger of a match. It's essentially a glorified friendly, and hopefully some of our fringe players can make a big impression coming into a season where we're not expecting to make many transfers. Setting expectations very low. Maybe we'll see Simikas come in. Now turning to Arsenal, it's Arteta time now. Arsenal have made several signings this summer, including Willian, but perhaps most importantly, Mohamed Elneny is back from loan at Besiktas. <laughs> Nathan. Elneny is back. He also scored a banger the other day. He scored, he scored for 40 banger. yards. He scored for 40 uh, yards. Nathan, talk to me. Talk to me about Arsenal. Scored all the way from Cairo. Uh, he basically Absolutely. did. Um, <laughs> Arsenal have only played one friendly since the conclusion of uh, last season, about a month ago. Um, And that friendly was a 4-1 win against League One side MK Dons on Monday. Keep in mind that Arsenal players returned to training last Sunday. So there's less than a week gap between basically coming back from a two-week holiday um, and then this fixture. The only way that I will care about this game is if Arsenal somehow win, in which case it's another trophy from Raquel Arteta. But honestly, I think there's a good chance that Arsenal can win this I, game. I, but honestly, I just don't care. Like the community shield is one of those games that like you always just sim on football manager FIFA anyways. Like it's not a real trophy. Like it feels very Spurs to like go into this game thinking that like, oh, whoever wins this game is gonna like have achieved something truly great. Like, honestly, I think we're going to see a lot of youth players from each team. Um, I'm not sure what the substitution rules are for this one. But it's six. It's six. six. Yeah. So, like, okay. I, I hope we see a lot of rotation. I mean, I, I highly doubt that we see Willian. I bet we see, I mean, I bet we see maybe Simikas or whatever your new left back is. Like, I don't really think that this game is going to be that entertaining. And it's sort of, more of a distraction than anything else when you consider that the Premier League season starts up in, what, 14? Two weeks. Yeah, two weeks, basically, from from Saturday. So not entirely sure what this game actually accomplishes. It sort of like the League Cup, I think, is a little bit outdated in my mind, Um, and I think it really will be a glorified friendly, especially, you know, still without fans. Yeah, I mean, this game used to be called the Charity Shield. and Like, like (laughs) actually, or or is that Yeah, actually. No, 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 it did. It was the charity shield at one point, and it was like supporting local communities through the FA. If there wasn't a winner at the end of the 90 minutes, 
then both teams shared the trophy throughout the season. But now because of the commercialization of this match and it became the community shield and it became more of a vehicle for the FA's marketing, it had to, like a winner had to be established. So they moved it to like a penalties format after 90 minutes. They don't even have extra time, which makes it like a legitimate final. I think it's going to be really important for players like Joe Gomez and Nico Williams, who I think of Trent isn't ready to start the season. A lot of the tactical burden is going to fall on those two guys. They're going to come up against Aubameyang. Don't know how prepped Alba is going to be for the season, but he's still a world-class striker. I think there's a real possibility that Nico Williams is going to be in for a long day. It's also a huge match for Nabi Keita, who ended the season looking like one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. And I think he's going to get a starting spot in the midfield if Jordan isn't going to be ready to play. And he's going to need to be, or it's kind of like get off the pot time for Nabi. You know, like he's been at the club for a while. He had like a season and a half of learning English, a poor transition into the first te- <laughs> into the first team. Yeah, he couldn't speak English, even though he had a year to like practice his English at RB Leipzig. And that was like his task before coming to Liverpool. And it seems like he failed in doing that. At the end of last season, it was a huge improvement, leaps and bounds. It's a Nabi Kaita that we had not yet seen the way he was able to carry the ball forward, his positive play, his passing, breaking teams press down. Like that was the Nabi Kaita that we wanted to see a few years ago. So it's a real proving ground for Liverpool's rotational options, especially since we have some deficiencies in the starting 11. Nick, when you said that, you know, if uh, if no team won, then they share the trophy. I thought you were going to say then the FA just didn't donate the money to charity. Uh. <laughs> That would be a real FA move. That would be hilarious and terrible. My question, since both of you are really downplaying the importance of this match and downplaying sort of the possibility of seeing anything close to the starting 11s, Nick, do you think we could see some of these players like Marco Grujic, Curtis Jones, Harry Wilson, Henry and Brewster, who are all back from loan or promotion to the squad, getting minutes here? And for some of those players, do you think it's their final chance before getting sent away for good or for another loan spell? Um, I think Gruyich is done. I think Gruyich is probably going to be angling for a move back to the Bundesliga, whether that be with Hertha Berlin or another side. Curtis Jones, I think, is set for a huge role, especially with the departure of Adam Milana to Brighton. He's inherited the number 17, which is a pretty popular squad number at Liverpool. I don't think he's established a real set position. In the side, I don't know if he's a left winger. I don't know if he's a center attacking midfielder. I don't know if he's a true center midfielder. So we'll see what he... He's an extremely talented player, and he can play a variety of positions. But I think it's certainly going to be a, a huge leap forward than I think what Klopp may have wanted following the restart. You know, I think COVID has had a real impact on Liverpool's finances and in the transfer market. So we're having to promote from within. So a lot of these youth players are going to be thrust into the fire, whether we like it or not, and they're going to have to perform from the jump. I think Harry Wilson is also probably angling for a move out the door. I know that Leeds United are interested in him, along with Ryan Kent from Rangers. I actually think he's injured, so that might not be super good for Harry. Yeah, he is injured. Ugh. So that might not be super good for Harry Wilson. Maybe it's the case of uh, he he doesn't doesn't feature very much this season. We don't see very much from him. Got you. In terms of Rian Brewster, that's an interesting one because I think he has the quality to be a second or third option for Liverpool. But I don't know if Klopp is convinced of that. Mm. I think Klopp thinks that maybe Brewster needs another year 
in the championship or another year at a lower lower rung team in the Premier League. I know there's been interest from Crystal Palace in terms of taking him on loan. I think that would actually be a decent move for him. But the fact that we aren't going to be able to go and get a rotational option for Firmino indicates to me that this is a big opportunity for Rian to show what he's all about, show what he can offer to this Liverpool team. He's 20 years old now. The days when he was a 16, 17-year-old prospect scoring an immense amount of goals for the youth side and for the England setup, those are behind him. He has to prove that he can produce for Liverpool, and unfortunately, he's going to have to do it under some pretty stressful circumstances and kind of get thrown like Nico Williams and like Curtis Jones into the fire, into the deep end here. Interesting. And then switching back to Arsenal one more time before we switch topics. Nathan, you've really talked up William Saliba for a long time now. Do we see him in this game? Yeah. I mean, he started the friendly against MK Dons and looked fantastic. Um, And I'm pretty sure that he's going to be the next Virgil van Dijk. So I think he will start. I think Arsenal. Jesus. I think Arsenal will play a back three, and um, I think we're going to see the center back pairing of William Saliba and Gabriel Magalhaes. For, he hasn't even signed for the club yet. For years and years down. Uh, oh, okay. The road. I mean, we're not going to see. We're not going to see Gabriel on Saturday though, because no, we're not going to see. We're not going to see even when he does officially sign. He has to quarantine for 14 days before joining okay. the squad anyways, which is sort of interesting because it means that we're probably not going to be able to see him until, you know, October. Um, but I don't know. I think we, maybe we'll see Willian off the bench. Maybe not. Uh, but again, I don't particularly care. Um, yeah, so I guess I can look forward to this because it's, another, it's, a, it's a nice change. I always love seeing Arsenal in action. Um, even though I haven't been too deprived of that this past summer. Um, and it's it's weird to me to think about having another season starting up in, you know, two weeks' time. So I thought you were implying that, like, <laughs> Arsenal weren't going to unveil Gabriel Magalhaes from Lille, and then we were going to see, like, David Luiz and <laughs> William Saliba <laughs> in the starting lineup, and then just a question mark next to them. <laughs> <laughs> the center back position. It'll be like a Santi Cazorla. Exactly. Like, Dude, drop a little, yeah. it's drop like, a little like cube down and then he'll walk out in like a cloak. Exactly. No, it'll be like the beginning of like the fifth fixture of the season and then there'll just be like a smoke bomb on the field right before <laughs> it's kickoff. Like, Gabriel Magalhaes just like two foots Roberto Firmino like out of nowhere. <laughs> no, they'll have him like, they'll have him parachute in off a plane that just like flew over the English Channel. Oh my God. Um, Sort of like a la Bane in... Um, <laughs> <laughs> in the dark night <laughs> dude speaking of center backs speaking of these center backs who are <laughs> resemble Bane in that they're big ugly and incomprehensible Harry Maguire's quite the weak he got charged boy he's guilty <laughs> he's guilty yeah I think I want to apologize to anyone who thought like I came off as a bit insensitive towards him in our last podcast it has since come out that maybe some of the accusations against him are, have been a bit misconstrued from the Greek police and Greek law enforcement officials. Mm-hmm. Um, the BBC did a sit-down interview with him in which he said he this is an experience that will scar him for life. So I don't really want to... I want to extend an apology to Mr. McGuire. I didn't mean to take your situation in such a lighthearted, uh, jovial, joking manner. Apologize if it does scar you for life. I don't know. It's just been quite quite the week in terms of the Messi Maguire combo. I did not expect those two to be like the two 
driving force. Oh, and you have Pogba days. getting diagnosed with COVID today. Too. Oh, God. And then what an opportunity. What an opportunity for uh, Eduardo Kamavinga, yeah. 17 year old from Rennes. Kamavinga, Hassam Awar, uh, both given their first call ups to the. No. To and Upa And Upa Meanwhile, they only called up one right back in Dubois, unlike the England team, which called up zero left backs. And four right back. Which backs. is kind of odd. It's so odd. Because especially since they dropped Maguire, you'd think they would call up someone like Luke Shaw or Ben Shilwell. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, dude. I don't get what's going on. Well, fresh off of a Champions League victory, it appears that Thiago Alcantara has said his goodbyes to Bayern Munich. And he has been rumored for a long time now to be winding up on Merseyside. Nick, what are your thoughts about the likelihood of Thiago winding up in Klopp's team next year? I have never seen so much anxiety <laughs> surrounding a Liverpool transfer in quite a long time. Uh, Liverpool, uh, for for reference, Liverpool sold Ovi Ajaria to Reading today for about three point five million, and Liverpool fans were going like, "Oh, that's three point five million pounds that we could use towards the Thiago transfer of like what's being reported as like twenty five million to thirty five million is the price that Byron want for him." <laughs> Liverpool fans are like doing everything. They're like mortgaging their houses, selling their children. They're like starting OnlyFans accounts to like raise the money <laughs> so that the club can buy this guy. They're going to call it um, only cams. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as we're seeing, particularly with Chelsea, the money that teams around us are going to spend at the top, Liverpool aren't the most cash rich club in the top four, even not even in the top six. Liverpool take a very data-driven money ball approach to transfers. We've seen that with signings like Genie Wijnaldum, seen that with signings like Mane when he first came to the club in 2016. So we do buy players before they're entering their prime. That's something that Liverpool particularly get at. But in order to get to the echelons that we're seeing them at right now, they went out and just wrote a blank check for Klopp to get anyone he wanted. He spent around $45 million for Fabinho. He spent $75 million on Van Dyke. He spent $60 million on Allison. So he went out and bought world-class players and entering the prime of their career, if not in the prime of their career, in order to get us to where we are now. I think that's something that's sort of been forgotten. It wasn't Manchester City money. It certainly wasn't Chelsea money that we're seeing right now. But it was substantial transfer fees in order to get these world-class players through the door. I think if Liverpool wants to continue to evolve, they are going to need to incorporate a mixture of the data-driven value transfers with the big money transfers for players in their prime. The Simicus signing, a rotational option at left back who they've been scouting for like the past two years, that's playing the long game. Getting players like Thiago Alcantara, world-class players, for a substantial fee in $30 million, but it's certainly not super crazy. I think that's what Liverpool are going to need to do to freshen up the squad in a competitive fashion in order to rival teams like Chelsea and Man City who will continually have the spending capacity to surpass them in terms of squad value. This transfer makes less and less sense to me by the day. And I've also haven't seen a like transfer saga play out so publicly over an amount of money that isn't actually that much. Which is odd for Liverpool because Liverpool especially Klopp and Michael Edwards like to do business behind closed doors. Like remember the Fabinho signing, no one knew that was happening. And then the day after the Champions League final, Fabinho was wearing a Liverpool kit. Like you didn't know that was going down. So this Thiago signing is odd in that respect. As and well. I also don't know why Thiago really wants to leave Bayern. Like he could win another Champions League next year. 
He started the Champions League this year. He probably was, you know, in contention, I'd say, for man of the match against PSG last weekend. And it's weird to me that, is he really that set? And I could be wrong. Is he really that set on Liverpool? Because there are surely other top clubs that are perfectly willing to spend 25 million, 30 million for Thiago. I mean, why would Juve spend 21 million on Weston McKinney when they could spend 25 million on Thiago? Dude, exactly. Like, it doesn't make any sense. That transfer is also just super weird, but it's a good example about how, like, the amount of money that Bayern are asking for here, really not that much for one of, on his day, a top 10 center midfielder in the world. Yeah. I mean, which is also, it begs the question why Liverpool haven't just kind of uncorked the deal, you know? Like, it seems to be sitting right there waiting for them. Like, Bayern are eagerly saying, hey, like, Thiago is available. Like, come get him. We don't want, like, he's already told us that he's leaving. We'll, we'll be happy to keep him, but $25 million is all it's going to take for you to... Yeah, there's something odd about this, it, it's Caleb. It's so I think weird. Right. It literally doesn't make sense. It's also been going on for, like, a month now. Like, I don't know... And, what, like, Bayern... Yeah, and Bayern are literally, like, joking about it now. Like, Hansi Flick in the post-match press conference was, <laughs> like, he faked out all the journalists. And he was saying that, like, he doesn't think Thiago is going to stay or he doesn't quite know about yeah. Thiago's future. But he certainly, it's, like, 50-50 that he stays at the club. And it's just, like, one of those, it's certainly turned into the strangest transfer saga of the summer. Messi was standing. It's an odd transfer from a Liverpool perspective because it's not something that we normally do. I would love for us to get Thiago. Don't get me wrong. I think he's he'd immediately become our best midfielder in terms of quality. We'd offer something completely different that we don't have. But it's it's so strange. Caleb, you are a La Liga expert. I think while we're on the subject of transfers, I wanted to get your your opinion on Valencia having an absolute <laughs> garage sale for all of their top tier talent. Most recently, Rodrigo Moreno who has been linked with the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona recently, has moved to Leeds United for $30 million, which is half of his valuation last season. Danny Parejo, the club captain, club legend, has left the club for a small fee to rival team Villarreal, a team that literally has a derby with Valencia. Peter Lim bins him and Francis Coquelin off for relatively cheap fees. A uh, great prospect in Ferran Torres, who probably should have commanded something in the region of 50 million euros, was sold to Man City for 20 to 30 million euros. What is going on at Valencia and Peter Lim, the owner specifically? What's his deal? Is there just like it's a COVID finance thing? Is he toying with the fans? Because this is like one of those strange Wigan esque situations. To I me. think he's just mad. And not like angry, just like insane. He's essentially sold the entire spine of his team. Rodrigo, his main center forward. Ferran Torres, his main, you know, up and coming wide player. Coughlin and Parejo, his midfield in their flat four. Which And also Parejo was a free transfer to Villarreal. And Coughlin was only like 7 million euros. He's giving away his entire midfield to Villarreal, who needed to rejuvenate their midfield now that Katsorla... Um, has left and uh, Bruno, who's 36, retired. He sold Ezekiel Garay, didn't sell him, just like left him without a contract. He let Alessandro Ferenzi go. He left Jaime Costa go. So it's just weird to sell all of these key players that are a mix of both young players and old players, squad players and starters, but then to simultaneously be like, we will not sell 
Gaia. We will not sell Geddish. Like it, it, it is very confusing. And they honestly have brought in no one. This team is going to be trash next year. And if I'm a Valencia fan, I would just, I would honestly become a Villarreal fan. I mean, you get to cheer for the same players. (laughs) 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 Just just buy the Danny Parejo Villarreal kit, Valencia fans. Why not? No, better yet, you don't even need to like, you know how like when a player's transfer, they're like duct tape the back of the jersey. In this case, you just need to get like (laughs) yellow duct tape for your kit. You don't even need to change the name or number. So it's an utter disaster. It's a really bad look for La Liga, which is obviously kind of going through a phase Suffering right now. a lot of bad looks at the moment. Yeah, I don't really have an explanation. I think this is another cautionary tale of like, you can't just take a rich owner, like any rich owner. Like you need to really understand what their motives are, what they intend to do with the club, because it's really sad to see a historic club like Valencia a team that has consistently been one of the top clubs in Spain for pretty much its entire history, reduced to a kind of Frankenstein scrap heap for no apparent reason or rationale. They're basically just Malaga part two, where you see these owners come in, spend some money in the first few years, and then once their project fails, basically dismantle the team for parts. Um, and I think it's very sad to see. And I think you're right in that it is another cautionary tale about what uh, owners can do. And uh, as we discussed with Wigan earlier on uh, this year, it's never good to see. And especially for a league that is increasingly in the spotlight uh, this week, it's not what you would want to see. And for our final segment on today's show, and what I think is going to become a recurring segment for as long as this story draws on, Nathan... Take us to Messi Watch. I was gonna just put in a sound effect, but you've done you've done my job for me there. Given how much my voice has dropped, let's see if I can do this. This week on Messi Watch, it appears that the father of Lionel Messi, Jorge, was in Manchester, perhaps to negotiate a signing for Manchester City. But then Jorge has come out and said, "No, I was not in Manchester to negotiate a signing." So the same issues that we were talking about uh, the other day when the, the news that Messi wanted to leave Barcelona are still in effect. It appears that Man City are still the favorites to sign him. And there was a report that broke today that said that Pep Guardiola is prepared to offer Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, Eric Garcia, and 100 million euros to Barcelona in exchange for Messi, which I think would be a more than generous deal. Um, and Perhaps the most interesting news that's broken since then is that Messi is going to release a statement about his decision um, in the coming days. So, Caleb, what would you actually want to see from this statement if you're a Barcelona fan? Ooh, that's a very interesting question. What would I want to see? I would like to see something about how much he like loves the club, how much he didn't want to go, but and then like an enumeration of you know, the exact things that pushed him over the edge. And I hope he gets very specific and I hope he's willing to do things like Bartomeu has destroyed this club. Like if that was a sentence in it, I'd be like, damn straight. But my guess is the language will be slightly more coded, especially as this sort of like looming legal battle over whether he can leave for free or not sort of kicks into gear. So I think it'll be probably heartfelt, but a little more platitudinous about 
you know, how he loved the club, but the time has come for him to leave. Maybe something about how he really wanted to bring a Champions League, um, but that goal has fallen out of reach. In terms of the reports that City are willing to offer players like Bernardo Silva in the deal, which I think would be nuts. There's another report in the Manchester Evening News that says that it looks like they're actually going to try to use like Eric Garcia and Angelino. I think the only player who I definitely think could be used in a swap deal is Eric Garcia because Barcelona are in for him anyway. Um, I would love, though, if we got one of their attacking players. Like getting Gabriel Jesus or Bernardo Silva in return would be a huge reprieve uh, for the kind of dire situation Barcelona might find them in themselves in offensively this coming year. But what's clear now is that City are definitely where he's trying to go. Yeah, they've certainly emerged as the favorites. So here's what I want to see from this statement. I want a messy style LeBron James, like the decision TV special to air on like Spanish television or whatever. And I want it to be like messy. He's in like, he's, he's on a soccer pitch. It's like Ray Hudson or like whoever the Spanish equivalent to that is, is interviewing him. And you know, it's like 20 minutes on how Messi's soul has been torn apart by this decision and how Bartomeu is the spiritual evil of the Blagrana and he's everything that is like anti-Croyfism and good about the game. And it ends with a figure coming into the frame and it's Pep Guardiola. And Pep Guardiola has a Manchester City Messi kit and the contract. And Messi signs the Man City contract live on air puts on, takes off whatever like Barcelona apparel he was wearing, takes that off, puts on the Man City kit, and he says, I'm taking my talents to the north of England to sign for Manchester City. Or it could be like Griezmann did two years ago where he had this whole hype video and then he never left at Letty. <laughs> it could be that too. Well, Caleb, what do you make of the reports that Bartomeu is willing to, he's kind of called Messi's, if this is a bluff, he's called Messi's a bluff in a way by saying that he'll step down if Messi agrees to stay with the club. I think it is a smart move on his part because then it suggests that if Bartomeu stays, then it was Messi who decided to leave. I still think that Bartomeu is at fault, but I think this is a kind of shrewd political move to try to put the final decision truly on Messi and to make him decide that he is the one that's breaking up with Barcelona and not the other way around. Right, and it's tough for Bartomeu to leave because we know that if he leaves before this massive debt is expunged, a lot of that debt is going to fall on Bartomeu personally. He's going to have to figure out a way to pay that all <laughs> out. Pay out like hundreds, be... hundreds of millions of euros of debt. Bartomeu is going to fall solely on the shoulders of Bartomeu. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the downside of having fan-run clubs. And I think that you know that's why the 50 plus 1 rule, I think, is soon to be obsolete in places like Germany. Um, and it's definitely one of the dangers of being an incredibly successful and high-spending club while also being owned by... Uh, by socios. Uh, I wanted to just bring up some obscene stats that someone put together on the uh, the Fantasy Premier League sub. Um, the post is titled, Messi has played in 34 competitive matches against English sides in his career. Here's how many points he would have scored in Fantasy Premier League in those games. Messi in 34 games against exclusively top six teams, so Chelsea, United, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, and Spurs, 
he scored 26 goals and had six assists, which would have been the second highest uh, single season points total in fantasy Premier League history, as well as a goal scoring tally that would have won the gold that would have won him the golden boot um, in each of the last uh, four seasons. So pretty ridiculous numbers when you consider that he's he hasn't even been going up against the likes of Norwich at home. Like, can you imagine, you know, uh, a lineup where it's like Sterling on the left, Aguero up top, Messi on the right with De Bruyne and Bernardo Foden, Silva, Bernardo Silva in midfield. <laughs> like Messi would literally, he's literally going to score like 35 goals and have like 35 assists. Like, honestly, he, first of all, would probably instantly have the best selling jersey of all time for Man City. And he would probably shatter Premier League records like from day one. Uh, people but, would actually go to Man City games. The the thing that needs to happen if Messi does sign for City is that either the FA Cup or Carabao Cup draws need to be rigged so that Man City face Stoke away. Or this season, if he does come oh to the God, Prem, that's amazing. That they just need to promote Stoke. They just need to promote <laughs> Stoke. There's 21 teams in the league this season, and Stoke is going to be like no matter like what situation. I know they were pretty horrendous in the championship <laughs> last season, but it doesn't matter. Like we need Stoke in in the division so that Messi can play them away, dude. And so and we can finally settle this this old adage of whether or not he can do it right. on a cold rainy night in Stoke. I don't care if there's like a logistics problem having 21 teams in the Prem. But like it just needs that. Either we need to fix, like rig the. I don't care if Liverpool have to like go away to Old Trafford in like the first like FA Cup weekend. I just want this game to happen so badly if he does come to the. Premier and they'll League. have to like make fake rain if it's like a sunny day, um, and if they win, then Manchester City automatically win the Champions League also, and everybody's happy. <laughs> I think what we have seen in the past couple of days though is a reassurance that Messi does want to take one more at least one or two more cracks at winning that champions league trophy well we'll catch you guys after the community shields i'm sure it's going to be a game i don't know if it's going to be a great game it'll definitely be a game we'll be back to you with more of the messy watch the messy story as that develops as well as a preview of the premier league season and maybe some guests next week mm. we shall see how that all shakes out but i've been nick Vinden. i'm caleb rhodes nathan strauss that has been Corner Kick. That has been our show. And we will see you all next time. Next time. I'm Nathan Strauss. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>